I'm Florian Eigner and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set up to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people, mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 396. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hallo! Hey, son! Hey, son! As this goes out, we will be at QED. Yeah. It's so nice to be like the, all, all three of us together in an episode, but also in real life. <laughs> well, that will be, yeah, I'm not sure I will recognize you in real life. Oh, who knows? No. Might have grown a second head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I could use one sometimes, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't I can all. relate to that. Yeah, yeah. we all. <laughs> Yeah, and this time it seems like I haven't contracted anything, like um, COVID or something like that, that prevents me from going. Like last year it did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It still makes me angry when I think of that <laughs> yes, yes. stupid situation. Actually, I had a cold last week and I still cough a little bit, but I've been testing myself and it's not COVID, so I'm okay. going anyway. I'm bringing... That's good. I'm, Probably use my QED mask from last year uh, <laughs> occasionally if I feel like that's necessary. So, uh, but uh, it's mm-hmm. not COVID. Good, and I'm 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 almost back to normal again. Yeah, you're very likely not infectious anymore. Huh? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I was I was so well that I spent last no not yesterday but the day before yesterday playing golf with my cousin and my son. Okay, uh, it was really really good. I haven't played golf for a long time. And uh, I played miserably, but I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's like. What it's worth for. That's that's what it meant to be, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if if you've ever tried playing golf, any of you. But yeah. listeners who have will recognize the feeling that you you can do a lot of mistakes, and it's all, I mean it's all shite, and the, the score is you know you just want to throw the bag into the bushes and go home. But then you do. One or two miraculous shots or savings in the last minute, and then it's all worth it again. I mean, the total score for the day will still be lousy. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But th- that feeling of just yes. making the... I, I, on the last green, I nailed a 10-meter putt, and, you know, that's... Makes it all worth it. I don't even know what you, what, what, what that means. <laughs> you, uh, 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 that sounds really uh, good. Yeah, th- th- some words I was familiar with, but the grand total, I didn't understand. <laughs> does mini golfing count? That's the question. No, it does not. <laughs> because that I would have had played. <laughs> well, it, it still wouldn't change anything for me. No, no. I, I, I can enjoy mini golf as well, but it's totally a different thing. It's yeah, not I, the same I, thing. Yeah. I can assume. Mm-hmm. Scotty plays occasionally, so yes. I know how it looks, but I don't know how it feels. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I have no idea why I started talking about sports, because that's not this podcast, is it? 
Thank God. Yeah, but what it is, I talked about having a second head before, right? So we talked to someone who is as smart as if he would have two brains, I think. Mm, at least. <laughs> oh, 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 that's a good one. Well, I, unfortunately, I wasn't part of the interview itself that is coming up, but uh, I do remember vividly the talk he gave uh, yeah. in Vienna. And we're talking about Florian Eigner. What an amazing talk yeah, he gave there. Science communicator extraordinaire and absolutely a very nice guy as well i mean he's so fun and great. we could have talked to him for hours but uh well we have to uh, limit the thing but uh, there was also some things some actually things made it to the outtakes so spoiler you can you, <laughs> there will be an outtake with uh, florian as well after the interview because we we continued to talk with him after we stopped, more or less stopped recording. I had a backup recording that I used for the outtakes. Ah, oh, cheeky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are the moments when it really pisses me off that my work life basically prevents me from having these really good moments or, or taking part of these. And uh, I want to quit. But <laughs> it's... yeah. And, uh, Luckily, you can be a normal listener this time and you can listen to the interview. Yeah. I will. And I'm really looking forward to it. So, shall we? Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah. we, we should probably give that chance to our listeners as well. So, let's listen to that interview. Every now and then, we interview someone whose work is of interest to our listeners and skeptics around Europe. This week, we are talking to Florian Eigner, an Austrian physicist, science editor, author, science communicator and skeptic. He lives in Vienna and works in University of Technology there. He is also part of Science Blocks and part of the jury of Das Goldene Brett, The Golden Board. He wrote three popular science books and held the keynote speech at the European Skeptics Congress in 2022 in Vienna about why we can trust in science. He is also a member of GVOP and was a board member from 2012 to 2016. Welcome to the show, Florian. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, very welcome. Very good to see you again. Of course, we met last year, and we did. Yeah, so it was it was great. And now I don't. I can't believe when Annika said we are going to interview Florian. So okay, I said, haven't we had him on the on the show before? So this is a long time that we should have had you on the board. Finally, we have you here. I say on the board, I mean on the show. Yeah. Great to be here. So we'll spend two and a half days now talking because we have to cover everything. That's, yeah. It's going to be a great show. Yeah. Well, don't worry, listeners, we will cut it down to a manual. To 20 hours. To 20. Yes, that's yeah. right. Good, good chunk. <laughs> okay. So Florian, since we already know who you are, but maybe for our listeners, uh, what what is your background? Well, I started out as a physicist and uh, did my PhD about uh, quantum theory at the Vienna University of Technology. And already while I was uh, doing research, I started doing a little bit of work as a science journalist. And I have always been fascinated, not only 
with science, but also with uh, science communication. And and I just love uh, to understand something and then help other people to understand it as well. That's uh, that's something I've I've always enjoyed. And so after my PhD, I I switched into science communication professionally, and it's been quite a, a wild ride since then. So mm. I've done a very very many different things. Um, you've already mentioned that I've I've written three books. I've uh, published lots and lots of texts in many newspapers and and magazines, and and I've been on on stages and and giving lectures and and um, yeah. So I I just enjoy doing very different things all the time. Yeah, but basically you're the kind of guy that we always say we need more of and that we love <laughs> people who yes. understand science and not just any science by the way quantum physics that's something that well they, the normal thing to say is that if you th say you understand it you don't but just to be able to understand those things and then to communicate it that is a rare gift and uh, we really need more of you well, I'm not. I'm not saying that uh, I always succeed, but I I do try my best. <laughs> no, but that depends on the quantum state, right? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I might add that I'm not just focusing on quantum physics. I mean, I love talking about quantum physics, of course, and uh, my most recent book is about quantum physics. But of course, I've I've written about many, many uh, different topics. And I've always also spent a lot of time on, on skeptics topics. Mm -hmm. And um, today, it's also uh, important issues such as climate change, for example, mm -hmm. that, that I'm, I'm spending a lot of time mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. What was your degree about in, in quantum physics? For those who know more about quantum or, or physics. Or would we I not have. understand it? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's actually quite simple. So people in Berlin, they shot atoms at crystals in a very particular way. And the result they found was quite surprising because they saw quantum effects that actually people would have assumed should not be visible in that case. And then they asked around who can calculate why this actually works. And I, together with a couple of my colleagues, well, we succeeded to explain that so you know in science uh, very often it's it's the other way around quite often you come up with a theoretical result and then you hope that there's somebody in the world who might be willing to do some measurement in my case it was the other way around there was the experimentalists who <laughs> came up with the data and said we don't understand it please theorists um, do the calculations yeah, explain what we have done please right <laughs> very good that sounds pretty advanced i think it was fun. <laughs> That's cool. A lot of maths involved, I guess. Yes, sure. But, you know, today it's a lot of uh, uh, computer work, really. So mm. uh, you plug the hard math into the computer and uh, basically write computer programs who uh, do all the heavy lifting for you. Yeah, but I guess there's still an art in asking the right question so so that the computer knows is, what to yeah. do. Yeah, <laughs> Right. <laughs> Did you already enjoy writing during your studies or did that all just basically hit off after your degree? No, I always loved writing, actually. So mm -hmm. uh, already as a little child, I, I uh, had fun writing my own stories. And actually, I think I'm, I'm one of the very, very few people who enjoyed writing up their own PhD thesis, because usually that's the part <laughs> that everybody hates, you know. Oh, gosh, I did all this hard work and it was fine, but now I have to write it down. And I thought, well, finally, something fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. Really good. You, did, you weren't you weren't afraid to present it and to defend it then, because that's something that people. Obviously, you are now at least a very 
seasoned and experienced speaker. So uh, I guess that wasn't the problem for you. That wasn't the problem either. So yeah. there were moments in my uh, PhD time uh, when I was quite desperate and it, I did not have a good time. But uh, writing up and defending the PhD thesis was not among those moments. Oh, so great. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So w when you did this and when you were at university, were you already then into the skeptics movement? I was, yeah. yeah. I've been in the skeptics movement for a long time. I don't know. It must have been the the early two thousands when I I started. And, and how did you find that? Was that at university, or did you find that? Uh, I mean, I guess online in the early two thousands wasn't really a thing, or was it? Well, it's not so long ago. So yeah, the internet already existed. Yeah, <laughs> no, but you're right. Um, it started. Uh, when were the first Harry Potter books published? Do you know that by any chance? No, but it was around that time, wasn't it? I know that the fifth one was published 2004. Okay, so yeah, they were that around. That was the fifth. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Harry Potter had a lot to do with it, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I've been fascinated with that uh, ever since I can remember. So, you know, UFOs and um, mm. dowsing and uh, whatnot. Uh, I've, I've always been interested in that. But I very distinctly remember a TV program where a woman was interviewed talking about Harry Potter and she was very, very concerned about young children being exposed to Harry Potter because they learned witchcraft there. And, mm. uh, and I realized this is a real fear. So this woman is really afraid and really believes that this kind of magic is true physically. And that was so amazing for me that somebody would mistake something which is obviously very very clearly fiction for reality that i thought okay i have to do something i cannot just tolerate that but all this anti-science rubbish i have to do something about that and i called a friend of mine and said come on we we have to do something here and then we actually we started uh we, we set up a, a website which nobody ever read but it doesn't matter and <laughs> i started talking with people you know and found out that there was actually a skeptics group in vienna and uh, joined them and in the beginning i think there were <laughs> five or six people sitting around a table that was the skeptics meetings and very very quickly actually uh, it grew and um yeah it it worked out very nicely and uh, i've been part of the community ever since all right so were, were that group already part of the gave you pay organization yes yes indeed they, they yeah. were so uh, okay. when this group was formed as part of the give I was not yet aware of it and I was not yet a member. Mm -hmm. uh, it was uh, Professor Heinz Oberhummer uh, was Ooh. the head of this chapter back then, professor at my university. Unfortunately, uh, he, he died far too young, a great science communicator, very enthusiastic science communicator as well. And yeah, that was the, the nucleus of the group back then. All right. And, and listeners to the show will recognize that name mm -hmm. because we have mm -hmm. talked about the Oberhumor Award exactly. in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you can tell listeners what that is, just as a side thing. Uh, well, I'm not really involved in the Oberhumor Award, but it's an award uh, for outstanding science communication. And I, I think it's been awarded to a few very, very famous people. And I think it's a great thing. Mm -hmm. Very good. Absolutely. Um, I also heard um, Martin Moda talking about him, I think. Yeah. yeah. He's, part of, he's one of your colleagues, isn't he? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, very much so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so what is your... Uh, 
job or what are you doing day to day right now? What, what, what's your occupation? <laughs> That's really hard to say because um, <laughs> actually in my professional life, every week looks, looks completely different. So I spent some time still at my old alma mater, the University of Technology in Vienna, as, as kind of the translator between the scientists and uh, the media. So I talked to scientists and um write up what they did and pitch it to journalists. Uh, so science communication for the university. Um, mm -hmm. And I used to do that full time in 2010. And then other things that I'm doing became more and more frequent and time consuming. Mm -hmm. And so I reduced that. And so today, actually, the majority of my work is not the university anymore, but a huge collection of other things. I'm writing a column for a newspaper. I'm doing a little radio column for a, a, an Austrian radio station. I'm something which I edited just uh, last year and is a lot of fun. I'm writing a column for a magazine for 13 and 14 year olds uh, which is something completely different and then also now after the pandemic I'm trying to increase the number of, of talks that I give again because I very much enjoy that and mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. uh, love being up there in the stage and and telling stories which which people find interesting and so really it's a it's a huge mixture I do a lot of writing for very different media um, but also a lot of other stuff so I'm I'm doing whatever comes along mm. you you mentioned the pandemic there how yeah. did that affect what you were doing and did you were you much involved actually in communicating the benefits of vaccines and stuff i mean your background was not that but maybe you got involved anyway that is true well my background is not in that that's absolutely right and so as a physicist, I don't want to go out there and steal a virologist's thunder. That would just be unfair. So um, <laughs> I didn't want to claim that I'm an expert in any way. But of course, when you are online in social media, then as a scientist or as a person interested in science, you just had to cover that topic. And I did have uh, fierce Twitter battles over that. <laughs> so yes, things sometimes got ugly. And I did write a lot about vaccines and, and different theories and, you know, all those stories about uh, it's not the virus, it's 5G or something like that. Yeah. So all those <laughs> topics, of course, were of, of huge importance to me as well. Yeah. Did you have any favorite story, favorite misinformation that was specially crazy? Uh, well, I, I think the 5G thing was particularly outrageous. So that was really something yeah. which is <laughs> so crazy and so out there that had you asked me before, I would not have guessed that this would actually come up, but it did. <laughs> and when it does, you have to face it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I still remember the people like doing these demonstrations in our little town, <laughs> holding all these banners against 5G and it will destroy your head. It will destroy everything. Yeah. It's like... Guys, the, I would be happy for a bit better reception, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, I think the whole pandemic thing was also very, very interesting in terms of, you know, the basic theory of how to communicate science and, and about the theory of science as well. Because we did have the problem that a lot of science was being communicated, which was, was not really sound. I mean, uh, there was a lot of data which was still a little bit shaky, lots of data which was not yet in. There were just many things that we did not know. 
And I think this was a huge problem because there were scientists who said, okay, uh, A and B is the case. And then five weeks later, it turns out no C and D is the case. So what do you do with that? Of course, it turns people away from science and people say, okay, uh, the scientists have been lying to us. And then you have to explain to people, no, that's not true. That's just how science works. Sometimes our best guess is just not good enough. And you have to be very, very careful communicating what is actually very well known and what can be relied on and what the other still softer parts of science are, which may be true with a rather high probability, but which are just not yet something which is established science. And I think that is particularly hard for many people to understand. Yeah. And, th and that's mm -hmm. what you talked about in Vienna, right? Last year in the exactly. European exactly. Skeptics Congress. Yeah, yeah right. So why should we trust science if it changes its mind all the time? <laughs> well, I think science that is really trustworthy is not just that what great scientists say. And that's a big mistake many people make. They think science is what scientists say. And that's just not true. Because any scientist, any scientist in the world talks nonsense sometimes. That's just a fact. All scientists are humans and humans sometimes talk nonsense. Science is only reliable when it's, well, uh, it's a consensus of many people. And every scientist in the world just makes the web, the net of facts mm -hmm. that we have and that we call science. The shoulders of giants. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We all are on the shoulders of, of giants. And that's why we see a little bit further than even those giants used to. And that's what's so important to me, to understand science as a collective effort. And only that is what makes science reliable. And even the greatest, the most brilliant minds can be wrong and are wrong frequently. So there is a huge list. I think there's even a, a Wikipedia article on errors uh, made by Nobel Prize winners. So uh, there is this so-called Nobel disease uh, yeah. of Nobel Prize winners. Who the hubris. After, <laughs> yeah. uh, right, right. After receiving the Nobel Prize, they think now they know everything and they just don't. <laughs> and so that's why we should not rely on that. We should take expertise very, very seriously, of course, but we should not absolutely rely on expertise. That what we should rely on is consensus. And sometimes we don't have it yet, but sometimes we do, and then we better believe it. Yeah. How do you communicate that in an environment when people some, sometimes say, especially during the pandemic, they said, we don't want to hear any more from experts? Yeah, it's, and, and it's, then you are what you say can be interpreted as you agree with them, but of course they want to decide for themselves and not listen to anyone. Sure, sure. Well, you, you have to directly talk to them and come up with, I don't know, interesting comparisons. Uh, for for example, uh, you know, I I have a, a a watch on my wrist, and this watch is not perfect, and it's approximately right, but it's not doesn't show perfectly the the precise time all the time. I'm sure, it's it's probably half a minute off or something like that. And does that mean that I should say, well, my watch is wrong and I throw it away? No, it does not. Uh, it's a pretty good indicator of what the correct time is. And maybe sometimes it stops and then the time is completely wrong. But most of the time, it's actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. And with science, it's the same thing. The fact that scientific statements are not perfect 
or at least not always perfect and can sometimes be wrong is not an argument for dismissing science uh, just as much as an, my, my watch stopping every two years is not an argument for throwing away my watch. <laughs> We're doing the best with the knowledge we have, so to exactly. say. And um, as I understand it, your part of or your group in Vienna is also giving out an award for people who maybe are ignorant or don't want to understand what science is. Can you tell us more about that? <laughs> that is true. You're referring to the Goldene Brett vom yes. Kopf, uh, which is German for actually, uh, literally, uh, literal translation would be the golden board in front of your head. Because in, in German, having a board in front of your head means being stubborn, not seeing the facts which are actually evident mm -hmm. and uh, ignoring facts. And that's why that's the name of of the award and the idea is that it's an award which should go to people who are not just wrong because as i said everybody's wrong uh, <laughs> sometimes mm -hmm. but people who have been shown that they are wrong and still in spite of evidence to the contrary stick to their claims which are just uh, plainly refuted mm -hmm. and what's important to me when it comes to this award is that you know, we don't want to shame people. That's not mm -hmm. the idea. It's not uh, that we go up there and say, well, we are the, the science police and we are now uh, showing you who the worst enemies are. But actually, it's about having fun. So I think that you can have fun together, even if you have very, very different ideas. And we even invite people who receive that award to come and join us. Mm -hmm. Usually it doesn't happen. <laughs> the very <laughs> first time we gave out the award, actually the, the winner did indeed come. Oh. We had a lot of fun together and he gave a speech and, and it was great. And it was actually a quite um, um, yeah friendly setting, I would <laughs> say. Good. And I would love for the next winner to, to join us again. Um, but the chances are not great because, um, as you know, um, I think society has become a little bit more hostile over the years mm -hmm. and it gets hard and harder to really say okay we are completely not on the same page here but let's talk to each other yeah yeah like i remember natalie graham snobman who sometimes had to yeah. go with like police protection to to events it's awful yeah. it's like yeah the, the hostility is really there mm -hmm. but yeah i'm i'm for one looking forward to this goldene brett because it's happening again this year it is yeah mm, but i also want to talk more about your books so um you wrote three is that right that is true yeah mm -hmm. i kind of translated the titles for you um and the first one i would say is coincidence the universe and you is that right and what is it about <laughs> <laughs> well it's about a very peculiar idea i think because you know science is actually here for explaining what used to be random to us. For mm -hmm. example, the weather. 200 years ago, the weather in three days was completely random. You just could not say. You just could just guess. That's all you could do. Mm -hmm. Today, we can calculate it pretty accurate, accurately. So in a way, science is taking away randomness mm -hmm. or the, the notion of chance. And now the question is, if science gets better and better, can we at some point then explain everything? So is the fact that we cannot predict the future just a consequence of us not having done enough measurements or something like that? Or is the future really just not 
written yet. And that's what I explored in this book uh, from mm -hmm. a, a scientific point of view. How, is the universe really random? Does physics even allow for randomness? And my answer is yes, very much so it does. And there will always be randomness and there will always be unpredictability. Yeah, but it's, it's again, you easily get into a false uh, dichotomy there because it's not either totally random or totally predictable. There are Absolutely. things that are predictable, of course. Exactly. And that's the interesting thing, uh, that we are living in a universe in which there are some things we can predict wonderfully and mm -hmm. others that we can't. And mm. actually, it's really, really hard to find out and to explain which systems belong to which group and where the borderline is. So uh, from a physics uh, point of view, this is really a, a hard problem. Mm -hmm. And it's almost going into philosophy, it feels. Yeah, a little bit, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The second book you wrote, I had a bit of trouble translating because of Bauchgefühl. Uh, <laughs> so I translated it into gravity is not intuition or feeling of your belly. Right, right. And actually, this is a book which uh, covers a lot of what we've just talked about. It's mm -hmm. actually a book about science and why we should trust in mm -hmm. science. And, you know, I've been confronted with uh, many questions over and over again, such as, okay, science is constantly evolving and science is always changing its opinion. And people uh, used to believe that the sun revolves around the earth and then they found out that it's the other way around and it's always changing. So mm -hmm. why can we even trust in science? And if we today say, well, 300 years ago, science was just wrong. Does that mean that in 300 years time, people will look back to our era and say, well, they were wrong. And, and I don't believe that. And, mm -hmm. and that's what I try, I'm trying to analyze in that book, that there are indeed uh, scientific facts that we can very much rely on. Mm -hmm. And that we also have to, uh, well, take into account and accept that there is also a large portion of science which is not absolutely perfect or at least not absolutely perfect yet and which mm -hmm. is just maybe a well-founded belief but not yet a, a proven fact and, and that we have to differentiate that. Mm -hmm. Last but not least in the regards of your books – Why don't we walk through walls and what does it have to do with goats? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The last part you added yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Why don't we walk uh, through walls? That's uh, my most recent book. And it's about, it's, it's a popular science book about uh, quantum theory. So, you know, quantum theory being my home theory, <laughs> so to say. <laughs> uh, My theoretical home and the theory, which I, my favorite theory, I, I would say, I just had to write a book about that. And, you know, quantum theory is also something quite interesting because you always stumble across it in science fiction or in popular literature. And, and everybody knows, yeah, there was this weird thing with Schrödinger's cat. And I'm not quite sure how that worked, but it's somehow a cat that's dead and alive at the same time. And so <laughs> we all have some idea of what quantum physics could be in the back of our head, but um, many people don't really know what it is. And that's why I thought I uh, would like to write a book which is very simple and which does not contain any equations and which uh, tells uh, funny stories and uh, at the same time explains how quantum physics works 
and uh, that's what I tried to do. Yeah, I'm sure if you put a cat on the cover, I don't know if you did, but that would make it sell much better. <laughs> there are lots of cat pictures in the book. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 And what about goats? <laughs> what about goats? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So yeah, the, uh, this movie. What's 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 the title of the movie? Men who stare at goats. Isn't yes. It? Yes. Yes. Right. Which I think starts with an opening scene of a guy. Uh, staring at the wall and deciding that he will not be stopped by that wall and then running towards the wall. And if he just believes in it firmly enough, he can just pass through the wall and it doesn't work. <laughs> so not <laughs> much of a spoiler because it's the first scene of the movie. But um, the idea is an interesting one. And for example, if you think of astronomy, it gets even more interesting because uh, it happens sometimes that galaxies uh, consisting of billions of stars collide. And actually our galaxy is about to collide with our neighboring galaxy and and this is nothing unusual in in the universe that galaxies collide and when that happens actually not much is happening because galaxies are mainly made up of empty space so the distance between stars and and distance between planets is so great that even if two galaxies collide, chances are that there will not be a collision between any two stars or any two planets. It's, That's good to hear. <laughs> it's not very. Violent, oh, you mean you not know? at all? Uh, because not I I, I realized that it's rare, but it, you don't think it statistically it probably doesn't happen. Statistically, it probably doesn't happen. I mean, it wow. can happen theoretically, but statistically, it's not bound to happen. I mean, the, the galaxies are deformed and, and the interesting stuff is going on, but um, no two stars are expected to collide. And now no car you could crash like explosion. <laughs> exactly. And now you could say, well, if two galaxies can just collide without anything touching anything else, why cannot we do that as well? Because sure. we are consisting of atoms and do not atoms also mainly consist of empty space? I mean, the nucleus of the atom is tiny and it's surrounded by electrons who don't really have a size at all. They're called point-like particles. So it's basically empty. So if I am basically empty, then why <laughs> can I not go through walls? Or when, when there's an overcrowded subway, I always think, well, why can I not just sit down in a place where somebody else is already sitting? I mean, can, can we not just overlap? That would be very, very <laughs> convenient, wouldn't it? But that's not how it works. And the reason for that is that this idea we have when we talk about it that way mm -hmm. is an idea of particles only so you know when we use the word particles we think of perhaps grains of, of sand or something like that so something solid something very small that's a particle in our head when we use that word and and when we say well we consist of particles then automatically that's the idea in our head that we consist of tiny dots with nothing in between and the dots behave in a certain way just like a football behaves uh, in a certain way, meaning that at each moment in time, it has a certain position and a certain velocity, and that's how we describe it. But in quantum physics, that's just not true. Particles have wave properties too. And waves behave very differently. So when I'm talking, like I'm now, then the sound wave I create is not 
at one particular point, but it's at many different points at the same time. It can be heard from different positions at the same time. And so there is no empty space between mm -hmm. my speech and your speech or something. It's all overlapping. It's all intermingled. It's all mixed. It fills out all of space. And when that happens, there are all kinds of forces between the particles and uh, taking account, into account the wave properties of matter, it becomes very, very clear that humans just cannot just pass through each other <laughs> like galaxies can. <laughs> okay, so don't try this at home. People. Don't try this at home. You no. can, however, walk through a wave at the ocean. <laughs> you ah, can. Yeah. But you will feel some resistance towards you the will. atoms you in will. the water. So, yeah, it's all uh, complicated. So do any of these books exist in English? No, unfortunately not. And ah, I'm not very yet, sorry we should to say. say that. Not yet. Yeah. So actually, I had already a signed contract uh, with a publisher translating it into English, but then the publishing house got bought by a, another one. So <laughs> things are complicated sometimes. Ah. Now, um, you know, the, my, my publisher is working on it. And um, if somebody who has uh, their own publishing house is listening today, I'm uh, ah. very happy to... Uh, we, we will <laughs> receive offers. <laughs> So it's, it is available in Korean. So all my books are, are available in Korean. And Ooh. I think they're being translated into Mandarin, uh, which I find quite That's interesting. That's actually a huge market. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> But not English, unfortunately. Ah, too bad, too bad. Come on, publishing okay. houses. <laughs> all right. Yes. You'll have to let us know if and when that happens, and we'll get you back on Absolutely. the show. Absolutely. I'll be happy to. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what you're doing is science communication, or really that is what you're doing. Right. And that's why we love what you're doing. What would you say is the problem with science communication today? What, what would you like to fix if you could maybe wave your magic quantum wand and, and fix what's all what's wrong with science communication? Because it goes wrong a lot of the time. It it does, and and there's so much going wrong, but in different ways. And I I don't think there is one answer for every kind of science communication out there, because there are very very different kinds of science communication out there, and you have to fix them individually. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there of course is. Um, kind of science communication which is overstating facts and which makes sensation out of everything and i really don't like that and it's it's really hurting science and science communication so um you know there is uh, an epidemic of youtube channels who ask the question whether aliens have now finally be found whatever some telescope sees it's always aliens or, or whatnot you have the history channel things like that so uh, there is a lot of oversensationalism out there and i i really don't like that on the other hand you also have the other side you have People who know a lot about science, maybe professional scientists, who communicate in a way which is absolutely accurate and uh, absolutely correct, but it's just boring. And uh, <laughs> it doesn't really grab people, you know, and it's just not fun to listen to. And that's that's a different problem altogether and um depending on on what you want depending on the target audience depending on where you come from um you have to fix one problem or the other and then of course there is also the problem that we've already talked about the problem of communicating how reliable that is that we're talking about and i think that is something that 
all of us science communicators have to take more seriously in the future. We have been for decades used to communicating science, which was just a collection of facts. And very, very often the frontiers of science very much out there, the actual research that's going on today was not really communicated anyway, but rather things that have been established for a long time uh, already. And that's very reliable, of course. Uh, but today there is a lot of, of stuff out there. There is more communication uh, available. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, uh, that's a reason why very speculative theories are also being covered. And we have to be very, very, very careful. I love it when people talk about speculative theories i have no problem with that at all but then you have to say this is speculative we do not know for sure this is an assumption mm -hmm. we have this and that reason for that but that's the part we don't know on the other hand that does not mean that we don't know anything we do know many things very very well but you really have to differentiate between those two things and and say what's what mm, yeah I, I sometimes think we put too much of a burden on you guys, the science communicators, because I think a lot of the problem is that the general public is not well equipped to receive what you're trying to communicate. So do you think there's something we could do in general education as well to prepare the public better to understand these nuances? Well, absolutely. And whenever the question is asked, what can we do to improve the public understanding of science? And everybody is shouting, well, you have to start at the schools. And that's, of course, true. <laughs> you have to start at a, a very early age. Uh, but but I mean, we, we all know that and still it doesn't work. So obviously knowing that and mm -hmm. coming to that conclusion yeah. is not yet a solution to the problem. Uh, the question is, how can we do that? Yeah, and it's uh, it's so important to, to not stifle curiosity too, isn't it? Like at a young age. And I, was, I was just thinking about my daughter. She had, uh, we, she was saw a puddle the other day and had an, had an apple and um, like a stone. And she threw both of them in the puddle and then mm -hmm. checked which one was floating and which one was sinking. Yeah, great. Yeah, and that's just like what you... Like what you want. That's you science, know? right? Yeah, that's science. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Her paper will be out this fall. Exactly. <laughs> it's got lunar theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, different school subjects just have different traditions of mm -hmm. how they are, are being taught. And I think we just have a, a, a cultural problem with mm -hmm. teaching math and science because it's especially in mathematics it's so sad um there are so many children who hate mathematics and then you know when you give people sudokus or something like that they love it and it's exactly the same thing it's exactly the same way of thinking mm -hmm. and that shows me i think that something is very wrong here because what you have to do is you have to show people that it's actually fun to use your brains in a specific way and well it's not always fun mind you so i'm, <laughs> I'm not one of the people who say well we're just at school uh, in order to have fun and the learning will be done automatically no that's not how learning works sometimes uh learning stuff is tedious and that's also a, an important part of, of school and uh, if you learn a foreign language then sometimes yeah well okay you just have to learn the vocabulary and mm -hmm. it's incredibly boring and the grammar is boring too but you have to do it because then you can have fun with the language but in the languages i think it's more obvious that you actually 
are moving towards the fun part. Mm -hmm. In mathematics, it's just tedious, and the fun part is <laughs> often not even visible for many students. No. So, no, that's I, sad. Yeah, yeah I, I think we can all identify with going to school in like first grade or second grade and trying to memorize all these tables of multiplications. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I mean, what's the fun in that? There is no fun, but it's okay that it's not fun. You have just to move. You just have to move on to the fun parts later. <laughs> yes, but I, we did something like games, uh, like we called it Eckenrechnen corner calculations, oh. where you have to do. We have to do like the multiplications, and if it, your answer is right, then you can go to another corner. And so like, it's just a game, but yeah, yeah it made it fun to, to but, but, memorize. Yeah, them but, uh, exactly. That's what I'm saying, and and also don't do this with this long, long tables, page up and page down with tables of not just numbers to memorize without any context. I'm sure it should be possible to do it a little bit more fun so that you understand the principle of it rather than just try to memorize a lot of nonsense uh, yeah. or nonsensical numbers. Why not? Sure. I mean, I'm yeah. not a teacher, so I'm not in a position. <laughs> ah, but to... luckily, we have a teacher on board here. So, uh, Annika, get on it. <laughs> I'm not a math teacher. Oh, it's not too. But late. I can You're always young. talk about it in in the during the conferences mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. my colleagues. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think we're uh, approaching the the end of the show. Is there something that we haven't asked you about that you are burning to tell us? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, happy to talk about so many things. <laughs> I don't feel it's my mission, you know, to present this one thought to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, if you think of something, just get in Let contact and we'll yeah. bring you back on. But in the meanwhile, uh, where can people go to find out more about you or about what you're doing and maybe see you on TV or wherever you, we, we can catch you? Uh, well, a lot of what I do, uh, obviously, is in German. Uh, we have a lot of German-speaking uh, listeners. Uh, right. So, okay, uh, they can just uh, visit my website and listen to uh, my radio column and uh, read my, my columns. They can follow me on Twitter, at least as long as Twitter is still alive. I don't know uh, <laughs> I don't how know. things will go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's a good way of finding out what's going on with me and uh, also a good way of uh, getting into contact with me if mm -hmm. people would like to. Mm -hmm. Right. So, okay, we'll awesome. put links to that in the show mm -hmm. notes. Awesome. Yeah, that basically concludes our interview. So, thank you very much, Florian. Thank um, you. Looking forward to catching up again at w in WTF or in any other oh, yes. skeptical thing that's happening. So, thank you for being on the show. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Have a nice day. Cheers. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye. Yeah, so Now that was great, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, quantum physics. I mean, just the word makes me nervous. But he is—he knows that that stuff. And but more importantly, Florian knows the importance of, and he burns for communicating science in an understandable way for mm -hmm. the general public and for me. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I love that. And we say that all the time. That's the kind of people we we need. And yeah. we also talked a little bit about education and getting people to understand science or the, the way of thinking in science so that it's not just black and white or either science knows everything or it knows nothing. It, that's not at all as you've heard. That's exactly what he explained to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it was a joy to talk mm. to him. <laughs> yeah, hope to meet him again very soon. I don't mm. know, maybe he's, he'll be QED? I don't know. I'll look for him anyway. Yeah, we will all look out for him because it's always nice and enlightening in a way to talk to him. Mm. Yeah, but there will be lots of that kind of people at QED, so I'm really looking forward to that. There will be a lot of smart people there and us. Oh, exactly. And plus <laughs> us, yeah. <laughs> what a distinction! <laughs> No, I, I've always enjoyed the company of people smarter than me. So, yeah, that's one of the, the reasons why a weekend of QED is so uplifting. I mean, it's it's like it motivates you. It wants you to do more. It wants you to learn more. And you you do learn more over the weekend. So you learn a whole lot of things. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we will have a lot of, to talk about regarding that for next week's episode. Yeah. Plus, we are planning to do a couple of interviews as well along the mm. way. So whoever's at QED at the moment, you're probably not listening to the show, but you will have had been approached by us. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, this has been all that we had time for this week. Thank you very much, Annika and Pontus. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Many, many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, when we come back after QED, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Wieslat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rob, and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Was that? Uh, this is a. Uh, it's probably. Uh, it's 20. a science fiction story. Okay. It's uh, yeah. It's uh, twenty <laughs> years ago or something. Uh, actually, I, I think this has a, a historical background because uh, it sounds <laughs> very very much like uh, the the story of Wolfgang Pauli. Do you know that? No, no. Uh, Wolfgang Pauli was a theorist and one of those who were really bad with experiments. And people really believed, well, some people believed that when he even got close to an experiment, it, it stopped working. <laughs> and, you know, he was, he was uh, going to Boston at some time and, and the particle collider started catching fire, caught fire for no obvious reason. <laughs> and uh, he himself really thought that there was some mythical reason for that. <laughs> and, and, and one day there was this other physicist who wanted to have fun with Wolfgang Pauli and strengthen <laughs> Wolfgang Pauli's belief that everything goes wrong when he is there. Oh, no. And he designed a device. And the idea was that when Wolfgang Pauli enters the room, then the chandelier should drop to the floor.
And this other physicist <laughs> designed this device which would do that. Yeah. And then he called for Wolfgang Pauli and Wolfgang Pauli came in and nothing happened. So even the <laughs> device course. which was supposed <laughs> to show that things malfunction when Wolfgang Pauli is there, malfunctioned well, did, yeah. when Wolfgang Pauli was there. <laughs> <laughs> that is really funny. <laughs> That's amazing. 